Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Dun, 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 dun. Brendan Fraser's making a comeback. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> singing of the mummy theme song <laughs> yeah um because i kind of thought it was dun 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 well you know what one's supposed to take place in the 30s and one's in like the 50s i don't know old movies or possibly like get smart yeah i don't know a little bit of a get smart vibe i was trying to do the dun 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 Every time there's something dramatic. No, I I got you. I'm there it with you. It just took me. It took you a minute. It just, yeah, I had when you started singing, I had no idea what it was you were trying to sing. Well, I mean, of course it was the mummy because we just finished watching it. Yeah, no, fair enough. But it wasn't super it, on point. But it wasn't. <laughs> but it wasn't really what you were singing. I'm sorry, sweetie. I love you, and you have many, many wonderful talents. Apparently, singing movie scores is not one of them. Picking out the score to the Mummy is not one of them. I'm sorry. I was distracted by all the sexy people. That's fair. Um, And the music is just kind of in the background. It's like going. The beautiful people. The The beautiful beautiful people. people. The Mummy. The beautiful people. (laughs) To be clear, the Mummy is not very attractive. When he's a person, he's very attractive. Yeah, like what you, you before he's the mummy, he's a very attractive looking, looking dude. dude. Um, so is an Aksunamun, but uh, yeah, before they, she gets all like ghouly zombified. Yeah, before they're zombified, they look pretty good. So, uh, so yes, Brendan Fraser's having a comeback, which I'm very excited about. Yeah. That's like that's been like the news of the week on the internet. It's been amazing. I've joined like a Brendan Fraser Facebook group. That's a <laughs> Brendan Fraser fan. So like every time I sign on to Facebook, I'm just like full. My my uh, notifications are just full of like things posted on there, and I'm like that. You know what? With the world right now, that is fine if that's the notification yeah. I'm getting. Yeah. That means now, I'm doing a good job of keeping my mouth shut on political things, and I'm just enjoying Brendan Fraser. Like many people, The Mummy was one of my first Brendan Fraser yeah, one interactions. Uh, George um, in the Jungle was School Ties yeah. and um, Blast from the Past. Blast from the Past was after. Were, but, but were also important yeah. early Brendan Fraser movies for me. But one that I feel like gets overlooked a ton because it's not quite the, the silly, campy romp that a lot of his others are is uh, the thing that he did with... Ian McKellen, uh, Gods and Monsters. Oh yeah, where he's like the gardener for this. Yeah, the the uh, the uh, Ian McKellen is playing the the director who directed um, uh, Frankenstein. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, and Brendan Fraser plays his gardener, and it's it's such a um, interesting, cool. He's such a good actor. Movie. 
He's such a good actor, yeah. and I'm so excited that, like, after all the stuff he's been through, and he's been through a lot, he finally, like, came, opened up about yeah. all that and stuff. And, and he's never really gone away. He's continued to work. He's just kind of done independent stuff it's, and yeah, very small. He's and been keeping a very low profile. Very private. And, uh, but he's about to come out with, like, two or three, like, blockbuster movies. Yeah, and, so. And he's what, also, like, the nicest guy in Hollywood next to Tom Hanks, so. So Yay. what do you think, listener? Are you a fan of the Renaissance that is going on right now? <laughs> the Renaissance. I wish I could say I had coined that term, but I saw it. Someone oh, you else, did? Someone else used okay, it. Okay, that's fair. That's, that's fair. Not, that's we not can't me. trademark that. Okay. But as long as we're speaking to our listeners. Yes. Um, I figured oh, yeah. this is this is a good point in the show for us to have some conversations with our listeners. And we actually have a couple of little bits of, um, I guess, fan mail. Yeah, we have fan <laughs> mail. We can share. Yeah, there's um, two, actually. So this this first little bit of conversation uh, comes to us from a fan named Laura, whose last name I am redacting, uh, although we were given permission to read this email yes. on on the on the air. On the, I mean, we're we're <laughs> we're on someone's air, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> taking up taking up some airspace, but I'm redacting last names so that yeah, for, you know, to protect the innocent. So so <laughs> Laura, if uh, if someone is offended by anything you say here, they can't track you down and. You know, I'd, I would hate to feel responsible for yeah, that. So we're much. using first name only. But uh, sent, hello, I love your podcast so much and I look forward to every episode. The story this week was such a letdown. <laughs> this this was in response to last week's this episode. This was uh, to the, the end of the party. Just the story, though, not your commentary. That was awesome as usual. Why didn't I like the story? What a cheap crap ending. <laughs> The kid is dead. Oh, spoilers, by the way. Oh, yeah. Sorry, guys. The kid is dead. Why? Because he was forced to do something he didn't want to do. No irony, no dramatic twist, nothing supernatural, no poetic justice, no redemption story. It would have been much better as a beautiful mind situation, as you mentioned. We should be writers. Anyhow, I'm glad I heard it on the podcast because if I read that story on my own, I would have been so annoyed. <laughs> Wait, you know what? I am annoyed. Fucking Catholics. <laughs> this is why I left to become an Episcopalian. <laughs> that last part was my favorite because, yeah, fucking Catholics. So, I'm a recovering Catholic. <laughs> so thank you so much. Um, yes, we absolutely agree. That story was... Uh, upsetting and unsettling. It was very. It was a well written story. It just like I agree. The ending was like I wanted a twist. I wanted there to be a reason for all this like torture this child went through, just, and it's just like. And spoiler alerts. Yes. It also just hurts just my heart when, when poor sweet little introverts just get screwed. Yeah, and I. Uh, I feel way too much empathy. Yeah, as I said to Ken, I'm like, this is why we have a literary podcast and not a true crime podcast. Yeah. So uh, you do keep doing your TC out there. We're going to keep doing our literary, our yep. LC, our literary comedy. <laughs> so thank you, Laura. That was fabulous. And we love hearing from our fans. And yeah, it gave us a good laugh. And we've been going back and forth. And like we said, she gave us permission to read that. Yeah. And then, so we also got, this uh, was our first time getting a present from a fan. 
So the first time celebrity status earned us swag. We got some swag, y'all. So uh, one of our patrons, so she's actually been listening to us since very early on, um, and she is a friend of mine from high school. Her name is Lindsay, and I will redact her last name, um, even though I always call her by her maiden name, and she's married now. But, you know, um, she has been uh, a listener from the very beginning almost, and uh, has been very vocal about her love for it. And she got us a one-year anniversary, like, present. <laughs> and it's so awesome. I'm going to read the card first, and then I'll say what it is. Even though if you follow us on Instagram or Twitter, you've, you've already, already seen, seen it. it. So, dear Heather and Ken, happy podcast anniversary. Uh, I'm sorry this is late, but think of it as extending the celebration another month. And I'm and like, we are celebrating. We are celebrating. And it's my birthday this week, so we will be celebrating more. I can't tell you how much I love your podcast. It makes me laugh so hard every week, and I'm very grateful for that. What the two of you have created is so fucking beautiful and jubilant. Please, please, please keep creating projects that make more joy and laughter and goodness, uh, that put more joy and laughter and goodness into the world. Here's to many more anniversaries. Love, Lindsay. Just doing our best to follow in the footsteps of Brendan Fraser. Yeah, I, we're just trying to bring joy and love into the world. So that that card was very, very special. Um, and she sent us a cross stitch of live, laugh, push babies. <laughs> Which, if you know, you know. And if you don't know or you want to find out again, go to episode 54 of season one. So episode 54, which is entitled Scratch and Sniff Horse Butts mm -hmm. to find out what that's all about. So live, laugh, push babies. We have our, our first official uh, coined term that has been printed on, on, on art. Thing. Yeah. And we love it. And yep. I, we're obsessed. So thank you, Lindsay. Thank you, Laura. If we ever get around to releasing t-shirts. Oh my gosh, there will, printed. there will absolutely be a t-shirt with Live, Laugh, Push Babies. So uh, if you are interested in that, become a patron, tell five <laughs> friends about this podcast, or buy us coffee, or whatever. Um, show your sport, send us an email. We love them, and we'll read them online, or we'll read them on the, on the podcast if you want. Uh, so we've promoted ourselves. We've promoted Brendan Fraser. We have a promo. We haven't had a promo in weeks. Oh, so. well, that's fun. Yeah, I think we we sort of took a break when we did the season changeover. We yeah. wanted a fresh start. Yeah, we've been busy, and uh, I wanted to get some some new promos, so we got, we've got well, some. Got tired of shilling for the man. Didn't yeah. Wanna, didn't want to be promoting other people's work. <laughs> That's not true. We were just not, I was not on Twitter as much <laughs> and therefore was not reaching out to other podcasts looking for promos. So I'm now done with my show and uh, we have a promo. Cool. Uh, let's just play it. Yeah. And then we'll chat afterwards. Great. Hello, everyone. I'm Carol Ann. And I'm Matt. And we are the hosts of Boozed and Confused. Boozed and Confused dives into the weird topics that you never knew existed. Join us every Monday to drink and discuss all things unknown, unexpected, otherworldly, and just plain strange. Each week, we will take you on a journey to learn about things like time travel and who John Teeter is. Weird history like the New England vampire panic. Conspiracy theories like Katy Perry being John JonBenet Ramsey or aliens. Or the paranormal like ghosts that haunt the White House. Listen to Boost and Confused every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. See you then. 100%. I do believe that Katy Perry is aliens. 
<laughs> I, I, you know what? She even has a song called E.T. Extraterrestrial. I believe you. She does. It's called E.T. Extraterrestrial. Um, so I think she just basically came out of the closet in that one. <laughs> she's like, uh, guys, I can't say it anymore clearly. No, I have heard that theory that she's jumping at Ramsey, and I'm like, what the fuck, people? But well, that's like the theory that oh, I, Marilyn Manson is the kid from the Wonder yeah, Years. Yep. But yeah, so Carol Ann and Matt uh, reached out and they have a fantastic podcast. They actually took a break in the spring, early summer because they had a baby because they're also a couple co-hosters. Aw, well, A, that's uh, awesome. Uh, yeah. Love to, love to see that. And B, congratulations. Yeah, baby girl. Um, happy, happy new baby girl. Yeah, so they're back to putting out new episodes and reached out, wanted to do a promo swap. And I was like, absolutely, because... Lord knows, I I mean, half of our podcast is about time travel and like mysteries. And, you know, I mean, that's the books we read are yeah. literary. So they're doing the actual like conspiracy theory versions and we're doing the literary versions. Yeah. So uh, lots in common. They're also a couple co-hosts, which we love. So you can find them anywhere you get podcasts. Just look for Boozed and Confused. And uh, I'm sipping wine right now. Yeah, Cheersing so to Boozed and Confused and Brendan Fraser and Laura and Lindsay and all the good things in the world. Ooh, our glasses are definitely different full right now. Yeah, mine is Mine's way more so sad. Listen to this. <laughs> yours is pretty. Mine's like... <laughs> this sounds more like the mummy theme song than what I say. <laughs> well, but it's it's actually it's almost the Jaws theme song. Oh Do yeah. Yours. <laughs> I wonder. Oh if, yeah, uh, this is if... that sweet <laughs> sweet audio entertainment that you tuned in for. Someone just went. What the fuck am I listening to? Oh. You're listening to Campfire Classics. And I think, Ken, I think that is a great segue into what we actually do. Mm, so. Sadly, we don't make music with wine glasses. Not very often. <laughs> not no, often, not but you just often. got to experience it. Uh, so, in case you are a first-time listener, and if we're doing our job right, every episode is somebody's first episode. Welcome. What we do is take turns reading stories from yesteryear, stories out of the public domain, very important because we don't like being sued, nope. and we read those stories to each other sight unseen, what yeah. in the theater is called a cold read, and what for yeah. this podcast means we fuck up a lot of words. <laughs> And don't know how the stories end, which is how last week happened. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. shit. So I did a little bit. I did just enough research into this story to be fairly certain that a child does not die at the end. Okay. All right. That's fair. Um, that's fair. So, uh, Heather, you're probably not going to be very happy with me this week. But listener, I oh think my God. you will be delighted. Oh, my God. Is this fucking person French? Maurice LeBlanc. I hate you so much. Was a French writer. <laughs> Give me my Pinot Grigio. So before it's right in front of you. Uh, So before we read the story, um, we do a little bit of research, a little bit of fun facts, usually into the author, occasionally into other stuff. But uh, yeah, so I'm going to be telling you a little bit about our new author this week, Maurice LeBlanc. Oh my God, it sounds like, is he he related to Joey? 
to Matt, Matt LeBlanc. LeBlanc. Oh, I guess uh, yeah. Not to my knowledge. <laughs> Joey Tribbiani <laughs> is very much Italian. But he's played by Matt, Matt LeBlanc, LeBlanc, who's probably Italian. Italian. <laughs> but you know Well, he's American. Yeah. What you gonna do? Anyway, uh, today he is known primarily as the creator of the fictional gentleman thief and detective Arsène Lupin. Arsène Lupin. Yeah, <laughs> See, or Ars- I, Arsène Lupin. Arsène Lupin. That's how I'll be pronouncing yeah. it. <laughs> um, a character often compared to Arthur Conan Doyle's creation, Sherlock Holmes. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to give a bit of info about him, but there is actually like boatloads of easy to get a hold of info on his writings, but comparatively little on his personal life. Probably because he lived very privately and, you know, didn't. Yeah, stupid Frenchman with a <laughs> chill life and lack of scandal and drama. Just... How dare he? <laughs> Just sat at home and wrote his happy detective stories. Uh, So he was born Maurice Marie Emile Leblanc in Rouen, France. You totally picked this story because you're doing Duolingo right now in French and you're like, I'm going to show off my learnings. (laughs) Um, Yes. Maybe a little. (laughs) Well, it sounds good, babe. Thank you. Uh, He was born on December 11th, 1864, into a cultured family that valued the arts of all forms and encouraged him uh, to pursue things like writing and music and theater and kind of whatever he wanted. That's because Europe's better. (laughs) Um, He started writing when he was young, and by about 30 years old, he was already publishing short stories and books and all kinds of things. Uh, His sister, Georgette LeBlanc, was was also a writer, but was more successful as an actress and opera singer. In fact, she was one of the most sought-after performers of the role of Carmen during her, her time. Oh, wow. So, yeah, good arts family. Okay, impressive. Uh, also, very importantly, this dude rocked a goddamn glorious mustache. Oh my god, he looks like he belongs in the Wild West. Yeah. Like, he looks like he should be like Doc Holliday or something. That is a fabulous mustache. We will put it in on the show notes, and I will put it... I, that is going to be part of the promo picture for this week. So that's this, glorious. this image will be available, but he's he's Holy wearing crap. he's wearing a, a cowboy hat and has a mustache that is really he, something special yeah, to behold. He looks like he should be in a classic Western. <laughs> uh, in 1905, LeBlanc published his first Arsène Lupin story in Je Sais Tout, a French magazine, which much like the Strand Sherlock connection that I talked about last time I did one of these, um, ended up having one of those mutually beneficial relationships where the magazine and the character helped make each other more popular. Okay. Uh, Je Sais Tout, by the way, translates literally to I Know Everything. That is the most French no that is the most <laughs> French magazine. I know everything. <laughs> uh, by 1907, LeBlanc had shifted over to writing almost exclusively Lupin stories and had graduated from short stories to publishing novels oh. because the character had had become popular okay. enough that he could write full, long form. Full he long didn't, form. Yeah, he didn't have to do the shorts anymore. Um, his works were so popular that they started being translated into English. Uh, by a guy named Alexander 
Texero de Matos, who was a highly sought-after translator at the time and who famously is responsible for the English translation of The Phantom of the Opera. <gasps> oh! So, like, this dude who was translating his stories was working for, like, the, the, the cream of the crop. Yeah, well, and we wouldn't have, we probably wouldn't have Andrew Lloyd Webber... Uh, <laughs> without, without without Alexander Dematos. Dematos. <laughs> so leaning into the Doyle comparison, because throughout his career, he was actually compared to Doyle. Yeah, that makes sense. LeBlanc published a story titled Sherlock Holmes Arrives Too Late, <gasps> in which the famous detective must match wits with LeBlanc's gentleman burglar. <laughs> he published the story. Doyle was not pleased. Yeah, I was going to say. His lawyers sent out a cease and desist. Oh, shit. <laughs> LeBlanc's next book was titled Arsène Lupin versus Herlock Sholmes. Oh, my God. I love him. <laughs> Glorious trolling. What a fucking dick. Oh, I love it. Um, that is amazing. Uh, that reminds me so much of that musical I did in New York when I was like early 20s that was a parody of the Olsen twins and the Olsen's estate got in touch with the writer and was like, you can't do that. Because I mean, they did not paint the Olsen twins in a lovely light. It's kind of hard to paint the Olsen twins yeah, in a lovely light. and this light. was also like in the midst of like all the drama. Um, I'm sorry, Mary-Kate and Ashley or Elizabeth, listening. if you're listening, and oh, I'm oh, pretty sure you are. Um, I'm um, not bad-mouthing Elizabeth Olsen. No, man. no, like I do not mean any ill will against y- you or your family. Or your family. Um, but come on, let's be real. In the nineties, it was kind of easy. It was, yeah, it was, was low hanging fruit. Uh, it was low hanging fruit. And they got in touch with us and they were like, you cannot do this show. And so the writer literally changed the names from Olsen to wholesome. So it was the misadventures of the wholesome twins. <laughs> um, and my name, I was playing Ashley and he just changed the name from the way my sister spells it to the L E I J, uh, G H version the ashley like uh and then mary kate became mary cade with a d so when you said it fast it's mary cade and and ashley (laughs) and it was called the misadventures of the wholesome twins the musical (laughs) but that this guy just seriously pulled one of those he goes oh i can't write about your character well then i'm just gonna like do parody law, yeah. like per like Her- Herlock Sholmes. Herlock Sholmes. Herlock Sholmes also appeared under the name Homelock Shears. <laughs> That's fabulous. Yeah. Oh my god, I love that. I love that so much. Um. So yeah. So that's. Oh, that's great. What a what a lovely fuck you to to Sherlock Holmes um, to Doyle. Once again, much like Doyle. Uh, LeBlanc did grow to resent his most famous creation, yeah. thinking it, uh, it it kept him sort of tied down to this genre. He felt stifled by it, and he kept trying to write other characters, but those other characters he wrote kept ended up getting pulled into the Lupin universe. Um, yep. So he kept writing that character well into the 1930s. Oh, my God. So first published in 1925, uh, 1905. And he kept writing him well into the 30s. 25 years. Yeah. Well, that's um, that's a very similar thing, like what happened to Doyle, what happened to him. And uh, it's like to actors that do like a sitcom. Yeah. 
or like they get typed into like, oh, well, it's Fraser. Yeah. Or, oh, they're the dumb blonde. It's or, also a yeah. little bit, I don't know how she felt about it, but Agatha Christie. Yeah. Oh, no. Absolutely. Once, once Poirot came out, it was like, yeah. well, when's the next Poirot coming out? Yeah. And she's like, I have this other lovely lady named Miss Marple. <laughs> <laughs> Who we can't read right now because they're not in public domain yet, but you know. But if this thing keeps going long enough, we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, LeBlanc was awarded the Legion of Honor, which is the French equivalent to being knighted, Knighted. uh, for his services to literature. He died in Perpignan in 1941. He's buried in Montparnasse Cemetery. Um, I love that he's a knight of, of books. Yes. He's a knight of literature. That's amazing. <clears throat> I love I love Europe yep. sometimes. Like I really do. Like they honor people for that. Like well, I think England, that's so amazing. England, England does is too. Full of yeah. knights of theater. Of theater. So many. Yeah. And dames. Yep. N- Dame is the equivalent to knight. Yeah. Um, yeah. So cool. So like I love that. So today. You will be reading Lupin's very first short story, entitled The Arrest of Arsène Lupin. Arsène Lupin. Yep. Very nice. Arsène Lupin. Yep. Okay. Okay. All right, you ready? Let's start, Let's this, start fire. this fire. <laughs> the Arrest of Arsène Lupin. Very good. From the Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin. Gentleman Burglar by Maurice LeBlanc. We're off to a good start. Yeah. It was a strange ending to a voyage that had commenced in a most auspicious manner. The transatlantic steamship La Provence was a swift and comfortable vessel under the command of a most affable man. I have to confess, thus far, I am disappointed that you are nailing all of the French. (laughs) Well, I have been listening to you do your Duolingo, and I did take French for two years in high school, which was years ago. Um, So I'm just saying, the author's name, the character's name, twice, La Provence. La Provence, yes. uh, So far, so good. So far, so good. Uh, Yay. All right, here we go. Let's see where we go. The passengers constituted a select and delightful society. The charm of new acquaintances and improvised amusements served to make the time pass agreeably. So it's a fun cruise ship. It's a fun cruise ship. And it's not the Titanic. Uh, hopefully. Well, I guess, yeah, we don't know Oh, well, know no, we know it's it's, it's called not. La Provence. Yeah, so it's So not, we know it's not the Titanic. It's not the Titanic. Because that would be a and, rough ending oh. for a cruise with auspicious beginnings. Yeah, sure would. Uh... We enjoyed the pleasant sensation of being separated from the world, living, as it were, upon an unknown island, and consequently obliged to be sociable with each other. (laughs) We are trapped on this boat together. Everyone be nice. So we're going to be friendly, damn it. Have you ever stopped to consider how much originality and spontaneity emanate from these various individuals who, on the preceding evening, did not even know each other, and who are now, for several days, condemned to lead a life of extreme intimacy, jointly defying the anger of the ocean, the terrible onslaught of the waves, the violence of the tempest, and the agonizing monotony of the calm and sleepy water? Wow. 
That's intense. That was an amazing sentence. Such a life becomes a sort of tragic existence. With its storms and its grandeurs, its monotony and its diversity. And that is why perhaps we embark upon that short voyage with mingled feelings of pleasure and fear. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure this should be like the Norwegian cruise lines. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just going to copy and paste that right into the brochure. Come sail Norwegian. Have you ever considered how much <laughs> enjoy pleasure and, and fear? fear. Come sail Norwegian cruise lines, pleasure and, and fear. fear. And all of a sudden, they start bringing in a very different clientele. Yeah, it's like all they do is the naked cruises. Yup. <laughs> but during the past few years, a new sensation had been added to the life of the transatlantic traveler. The little floating island is now attached to the world from which it was once quite free. Radio. Yup. Oh. A bond united them, even in the very heart of the watery wastes of the Atlantic. That bond is the wireless telegraph. Oh, not even radio, telegraph. Telegraph. By means of which we received news in the most mysterious manner. We know full well that the message is not transported by the medium of a hollow wire. No, the mystery is even more explicable, more romantic and we must have recourse to the wings of the air in order to explain this new miracle this is like the sexiest this like the sexiest uh description of a telegraph ever so describing with people with awe and wonder this new invention that is the telegraph after marveling at the the amazing way people um, suddenly become familiar and intimate Best and friends. friendly while on a cruise. I've got to say, this is about the least stereotypically French yeah. outlook on life I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There doesn't seem to be any, like, smokers negativity and malaise about yeah, any of Maybe this. that's why he had no drama in his life. <laughs> he was just a happy dude writing his stories. Dear French people, I sincerely apologize yeah, for that we don't actually feel Yeah, we don't feel like that about French people. It is a... Uh, France it is, is a, a uh, lovely country filled with a wide variety of people. In fact, that general negative outlook is much more often realistically attributed to Americans. The mystery is even more inexplicable, more romantic, and we must have recourse to the wings of the air in order to explain this new miracle. During the first day of the voyage, we felt that we were being followed, escorted, preceded even by that distant voice, which from time to time whispered to one of us a few words from the receding world. Two friends spoke to me. Ten, twenty others sent gay or somber words of parting to other passengers. On the second day, at a distance of 500 miles from the French coast, in the midst of a violent storm, we received the following message by means of the wireless telegraph. Arsène Lupin is on your vessel, first cabin, blonde hair, wound, right forearm, traveling alone under the name of are dot 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 you can't trust people with you can't trust men with blonde hair can't trust men <laughs> we with were literally hair. talking about this earlier <laughs> also apparently you can't trust the telegraph because all they got of his name was the first letter or somebody got as they were sending it we're gonna find out oh 
We are going to find out. At that moment, a terrible flash of lightning rent the stormy skies. The electric waves were interrupted. The remainder of the dispatch never reached us. Of the name under which Arsène Lupin was concealing himself, we knew only the initial. Oh, shit. (laughs) Oh, no. If the news had been of some other character, I have no doubt that the secret would have been carefully guarded by the telegraph operator as well as by the officers of the vessel. But it was one of those events calculated to escape from the most rigorous discretion. (laughs) The next day, no one knew how. The incident became a matter of current gossip, and every passenger was aware that the famous Arsène Lupin was hiding in our midst. Oh no! This is exciting. <laughs> what a what a fun cruise. We have a celebrity. It's like a murder mystery cruise. <laughs> Here we go. Arsène Lupin is in our midst, the irresponsible burglar whose exploits had been narrated in all the newspapers during the past few months. <laughs> the mysterious individual of whom Ganimard, our shrewest detective, had been engaged in an implacable conflict amidst interesting and picturesque surroundings. Arsène Lupin, the eccentric gentleman who operates only in the chateau and salons and who one night entered the residence of Baron Shoreman, but emerged empty-handed, leaving, however, his card on which he had scribbled these words. Arsène Lupin, gentleman burglar, will return when the furniture is genuine. (laughs) Call me when you have something worth stealing. <sighs> dude, Man, if I was the baron. ass cat burglar. Dude, if I was the baron, I would not release that to the police. Because <laughs> now everyone knows he has like counterfeit shit. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard of the Baron Shawman? He has all bullshit. He has all like uh, flea market his, flip his items. Paintings are all counterfeit. <laughs> They're all from goodwill. His jewels are all paste. <laughs> Oh, Betty, we can't go visit the Baron. Not the Baron. Arsène Lupin, the man of a thousand disguises. In turn, a chauffeur, detective, bookmaker, Russian physician, Spanish bullfighter, commercial traveler, robust youth, or decrepit old man. (laughs) (laughs) Then consider this startling situation. Arsène Lupin was wandering about within the limited bounds of a transatlantic steamer in that very small corner of the world, in that dining saloon, in that smoking room, in that music room. Arsène Lupin was perhaps this gentleman or that (laughs) one or my neighbor at the table, the sharer of my stateroom. (laughs) (laughs) And this condition of affairs will last for five days, exclaimed Miss Nellie Underdown next morning. It is unbearable. I hope he will be arrested. (laughs) Then, addressing me, she added, And you, Monsieur de... There's the first name. (laughs) Yes. Finally got one. De Andrezy? De Andrezy. De Andrezy? De Andrezy? Okay. And you, Monsieur (laughs) Adondre... 
I gave her a fucking accent. Well, she's kind of uh She's um, a little uh London like tart. It's what I've kind of made her. She's a little Adelaide from Guys and yeah. Dolls. Yeah. So this is this is your um just do Megan Mullally. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the laugh. <laughs> And you, Monsieur Dondrezé, you are on intimate terms with the captain. Surely you... She was British. <laughs> and you... I, I, I like her as okay, okay, straight great. up like Chicago flapper. Well, she's probably headed home. So, yes. <laughs> and you, Monsieur Dondrezé? Dondrezé? And you... <laughs> this is everything you wanted it to be. <laughs> and you, Monsieur Dondrezé? And you, Monsieur Dandrezé, you are on intimate terms with the captain. Surely you know something? <laughs> I should have been delighted had I possessed any information that would interest Miss Nellie. She was one of those magnificent creatures who inevitably attract attention in every assembly. I think you gave her the right I voice. I think I gave her the right voice. Wealth and beauty form an irresistible combination, and Nellie possessed both. Educated in Paris under the care of a full she's French. So I don't know. Well, maybe she was American and sent to France to get her education. Uh, educated in Paris under the care of a French mother, she was now going to visit her father, a millionaire under down of Chicago. Yes. So she probably did grow up in Chicago. I fucking win. Oh my God. I picked the right voice and you placed I her. I picked the right city. And you picked the right city. She was accompanied by one of her friends, Lady Jurland. At first, I decided to open a flirtation with her. Yeah, you did. But in the rapidly growing intimacy of the voyage, I was soon impressed by her charming manner, and my feelings became too deep and reverential for a mere flirtation. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, no, don't fall in love on the boat. Don't fall in love on the boat. Boatmans. <laughs> Boatmans. You can have the boatmans, but don't fall in love with the person on the boat. Because that person is not going to be the same person when they get off that boat. Vacation Nelly is not, is not Chicago Nelly. <laughs> Chicago Nelly is dirty. Chicago Nelly is connected. Chicago Nelly is connected to the mob, and she loves her jazz music. <laughs> but she speaks really good French. <laughs> Oui, oui. She does other things French, too. Yeah. <laughs> Moreover, she accepted my attentions with a certain degree of favor. She condescended to laugh at my witticisms and display an interest in my stories. Yet, I felt that I had a rival in the person of a young man with quiet and refined tastes. And it struck me at times that she preferred his taciturn humor to my Parisian frivolity. Throw that fucker over the edge. <laughs> he formed one in the circle of admirers that surrounded Miss Nellie at the time she addressed to me the foregoing question. We were all comfortably seated in our deck chairs. The storm of the preceding evening had cleared the sky. The weather was now delightful. I'm guessing this fucker is um, the other 
the other uh, uh, the suitor gentleman. Is, is the is the burglar. Is Arsène Lupin? Yeah. All I'm thinking is that or the lady accompanying her. Is the Arsène. night is young. The skies are clear, and if you'd like to go walking, dear, it's delightful, it's delicious, it's still lovely. I like that guess, though, that because they listed um, old and young and Russian and Spanish. They never said woman. They never said man or woman. I I immediately, when I read that she had a uh, person, uh, like, chaperone, that it's (laughs) it's traced. Dressed as the chaperone. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we have the drowsy chaperone, too, on a ship. Arsène Lupin. Arsène Lupin. Drag queen chaperone. <laughs> yes. The drag queen chaperone. <laughs> yes. How is that not a show already? How is that not a show already? Trademark. I have no definite knowledge, mademoiselle, I replied, but cannot we ourselves investigate the mystery quite as well as the detective Ganimard, the personal enemy of Arsène Lupin? Oh, oh, you are progressing very fast, monsieur. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all, mademoiselle. In the first place, let me ask, do you find the problem a complicated one? Very complicated. Have you forgotten the key we hold for the solution to the problem? What key? In the first place, Lupin calls himself Monsieur R. Rather vague information, she replied. (laughs) (laughs) Secondly, he is traveling alone. Does that help you? she asked. Thirdly, he is blonde. (laughs) (laughs) well i love this nazi yeah right then and then she asks well then we have only to pursue the passenger list and proceed by process of elimination i had that list in my pocket i took it out and glanced through it then i remarked I find there are only 13 men on the passenger list whose names begin with the letter R. Only 13? Yes, in the first cabin. And of those 13, I find that nine of them are accompanied by women, children, or servants. That leaves only four who are traveling alone. First, the Marquis de Ravendan. Secretary to the American ambassador, interrupted Miss Nellie. I know him! (laughs) She's also turning into Elle Woods. I know him. <laughs> yeah. We're going to find the jewel thief. <laughs> what? Like it's hard? What? <laughs> A blonde man? <laughs> Anyone could do that. <laughs> Major Rawson, I continued. He's my uncle, said someone else. Monsieur Rivolta. Yeah, claimed an Italian whose face was concealed beneath a heavy black beard. Miss Nellie burst into laughter and exclaimed, <laughs> That gentleman can scarcely be called blonde. <laughs> Whoever said orange is the new pink is seriously deranged. <laughs> oh, Miss Nellie is the best. I really want Miss Nellie to be Arsène Lupin. Oh, my God. Yes. 
Very well, then, I said. We are forced to the conclusion that the guilty party is the last name on the list. What is his name? Monsieur Rosin. Does anyone know him? No one answered. But Miss Nellie turned to the taciturn young man, whose attentions to her had annoyed me, and said, <laughs> Well, Monsieur Rosin, why do you not answer? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, you just called him out. All... Wait, is his name Mr. Roseanne? <laughs> it's John Goodman, it's actually. John Goodman. Yep. All eyes were now turned upon him. He was blonde. I must confess that I myself felt a shock of surprise, and the profound silence that followed her question indicated that the others present also viewed the situation with a feeling of sudden alarm. However, the idea was an absurd one, because the gentleman in question presented an air of the most perfect innocence. Why do I not answer? he said. Because, considering my name and my position as a solitary traveller and the colour of my hair, I have already reached the same conclusion, and now I I think I should be arrested. (laughs) He presented a strange appearance as he uttered these words. His thin lips were drawn closer than usual, and his face was ghastly pale, whilst his eyes were streaked with blood. Of course, he was joking, yet his appearance and attitude impressed us strangely. But you have not the wound, said Miss Nellie, <laughs> naively. That, that is true, he replied. I, I lack the wound. <laughs> then he pulled up his sleeve, removing his cuff, and showed us his arm. But that action did not deceive me. He had shown us his left arm. And I was on the point of calling his attention to the fact when another incident diverted our attention. Lady Jerland, Miss Nellie's friend, came running towards us in a state of great excitement, exclaiming, My jewels! My pearls! Someone has stolen them all! (laughs) (laughs) No, they were not all gone, as we soon found out. The thief had taken only part of them. A very curious thing. Of the diamond sunbursts, jeweled pendants, bracelets, and necklaces, the thief had taken not the largest, but the finest and most valuable stones. The mountings were lying upon the table. I saw them there, despoiled of their jewels, like flowers from which the beautiful colored petals had been ruthlessly plucked. And this thief must have been committed at the time Lady Jerland was taking her tea, in broad daylight, in a stateroom opening on a much-frequented corridor. Moreover, the thief had been obliged to force open the door of the stateroom, search the jewel case, which was hidden at the bottom of a hat box, open it, select his booty, and and remove it from its mountings. Sometimes you gotta select your booty and remove it from the mounting. Please do not remove my booty from its mounting. <laughs> Especially like in broad daylight. Is. I mean, come Especially on. Especially in broad daylight. That's just inappropriate. <laughs> Keep my booty in its mounting. Now, if you're going to mount my booty, that is also something that should not be done in broad, in broad daylight. daylight in a busy corridor. Certainly not in a public corridor. Yeah, not if you want to, like, be discreet at all. But I guess I don't know what this guy's kink is, so... Yeah. Discretion is, as they say, the better part of boredom. Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) 
It is my favorite saying. <laughs> of course, all the passengers instantly reached the same conclusion. It was the work of Arsène Lupin. Dun, dun, dun. That day at the dinner table, the seats to the right and left of Rosin remained vacant. And during the evening, it was rumored that the captain had placed him under arrest, which information produced a feeling of safety and relief. We breathed once more. That evening, we resumed our games and dances. Miss Nellie especially displayed a spirit of thoughtless gaiety, which convinced me that if Rosanne's attention had been agreeable to her in the beginning, she had already forgotten them. <laughs> her charm and good humor completed my conquest. At midnight, under a bright moon, I declared my devotion with an ardor that did not seem to displease her. Oh, no, dude. Oh, no. Oh, no. He's going to sleep in with the enemy here. It's going to be good. I mean, it's 1905. In fairness, this guy has never seen a movie. But next day, to our general amazement, Rosan was at liberty. We learned that the evidence against him was not sufficient. He had produced documents that were perfectly regular, which showed that he was the son of a wealthy merchant of Bordeaux. Besides, his arms did not bear the slightest trace of a wound. Documents! Certificates of birth! exclaimed the enemies of Rosanne. Of course, Arsène Lupin would furnish you as many as you desire, and as to the wound, he never had it or he removed it. Yeah, show us the long-form birth certificate. Then it was proven that at the time of the theft, Rosanne was promenading on the deck. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do love to promenade on the deck. <laughs> Um, I like to make sure that whenever I'm alone, I am promenading. promenading somewhere very visible and very public so that if a crime is committed, I have an alibi. Yeah. I want people to notice me where I am. Yeah, I like to think that he was singing songs too. Like, so he was drawing like very large attention as he's like skipping down the deck. Like, I'm singing on the deck. I'm just singing, singing on, on the deck. deck. What a glorious feeling. I'm alibied as heck. <laughs> He was promenading on the deck, to which fact his enemies replied that a man like Arsène Lupin could commit a crime without being actually present. <laughs> um, yeah, but just because he wasn't there doesn't mean he didn't do it. Oh, no. And then, apart from all other circumstances, there remained one point which even the most skeptical could not answer who, except Rosanne, was traveling alone, was a blonde, and bore a name beginning with R. To whom did the telegram point, if it were not Rosanne? And when Rosanne, a few minutes before breakfast, came boldly toward our group, Miss Nellie and Lady Gerland arose and walked away. An hour later, a manuscript circular was passed from hand to hand amongst the sailors, the stewards, and the passengers of all classes. It announced that Monsieur Louis Rosan offered a reward of 10,000 francs for the discovery of Arsène Lupin or other person in possession of the stolen jewels. Which could still be a play. Yep. But I'm guessing he's innocent because he was yep. the first one who was... Yep. 
and if no one assists me, I will unmask the scoundrel myself, declared Rosanne. <laughs> Rosanne against Arsène Lupin, or rather, according to current opinion, Arsène Lupin against Arsène Lupin. <laughs> the contest promised to be interesting. A Herlock Sholmes, he is not. <laughs> Nothing developed during the next two days. We saw Rosanne wandering about day and night, searching, questioning, investigating. The captain also displayed commendable activity. He caused the vessel to be searched from stem to stern, ransacking every stateroom under the plausible theory that the jewels might be concealed anywhere except in the thief's own room. I suppose they will find out something soon, remarked Miss Nelly to me. He may be a wizard, but he cannot make diamonds and pearls become invisible. Um, if he's a wizard, that's exactly what he can yeah. do. Yeah. Also, when did he become a wizard? Dumb bitch. I take back my profession of love for you. <laughs> you just defined, you just said wizard and then defined what a wizard does and says they can't do that. That's exactly what he can do. Have you not read Harry Potter, Damn bitch? <laughs> or wait, no, even even Lord of the Rings isn't out yet. No. <laughs> um I mean there are like wizard stories. I mean, think of like Sword in the Stone that goes way back. Have you not read The Magic Shop by H.G. Wells? <laughs> Damn it. If she had read The Magic Shop by H.G. Wells, she would know that wizards can make things disappear. Especially balls, if I remember Especially correctly. Balls. They're, well, they're better at making balls appear. Another uh, argument can be made that it's Miss Nelly or her lady because they've made balls disappear and then maybe they will reappear when they come out of disguise. And it's possible. Hey, oh, oh. hey, you see what I did there? Okay, I got there. You got I'm, there. I'm yep, very proud. I got there. Yep. I, I was I was gonna make another handling balls joke, but you you went for the drag joke, I and went, I approve. I went for the tuck, yep. the tuck joke. All right. He cannot make diamonds and pearls become invisible. Certainly not, I replied. But he should examine the lining of our hats and vests and everything we carry with us. Then, exhibiting my Kodak, a nine by twelve, with which I had been photographing her in various poses. Yeah. Uh, he's like, let me photograph you like, like my, French my French girls. <laughs> this right here is the inspiration for Titanic. <clears throat> I added, in an apparatus no larger than that, a person could hide all of Lady Jerland's jewels. He could pretend to take pictures and no one would He could pretend to take pictures and no one would suspect the game. Sounds like a confession to me. Yeah. But I have heard it said that every thief leaves some clue behind. That may be generally true, I replied, but there is one exception. Arsène Lupin. <laughs> Why? Because he concentrates his thoughts not only on the theft, but on all the circumstances connected with it that could serve as a clue to his identity. A few days ago, you were more confident. <laughs> Yes, uh, but since then I have seen him at work. And what do you think about it now? She asked. Well, in my opinion, we are wasting our time. And as a matter of fact, the investigation had produced no result. 
But in the meantime, the captain's watch had been stolen. He was furious. He quickened his efforts and watched Rosal more closely than before. But on the following day, the watch was found in the second officer's collar box. This incident caused considerable astonishment and displayed the humorous side of our Saint Lupin, burglar though he was, but dilettante as well. <laughs> he combined business with pleasure. He reminded us of the author who almost died in a fit of laughter provoked by his own play. So he didn't just steal shit for the money. He fucked he with people. He also did it to fuck with people. He fucked with people. That's pretty awesome. Certainly he was an artist in his particular line of work, and whenever I saw Rosan, gloomy and reserved, and thought of that double role that he was playing, I accorded him a certain measure of admiration. So he's still convinced it's Rosan. On the following evening, the officer on deck duty heard groans emanating from the darkest corner of the ship. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Ooh, all right. So who's Nelly with? <laughs> He approached and found a man lying there, his head enveloped in a thick gray scarf and his hands tied together with a heavy cord. It was Rosan. He had been assaulted, thrown down, and robbed. A card pinned to his coat bore these words. Arsene Lupin accepts with pleasure the 10,000 francs offered by Monsieur Rosan. <laughs> oh, shit! As a matter of fact, the stolen pocketbook contained 20,000 francs. <laughs> of course, some accused the unfortunate man of having simulated this attack on himself. But apart from the fact that he could not have bound himself in that manner, it was established that the writing on the card was entirely different from that of Rosan, but, on the contrary, resembling the handwriting of Arsène Lupin as it was reproduced in an old newspaper found on board. So they are two different people, or they're really good at changing or their you handwriting. Can change your handwriting. Thus, it appeared that Rosan was not Arsène Lupin, but was Rosan, the son of a Bordeaux merchant. And the presence of Arsène Lupin was once more affirmed, and that in a most alarming manner. Such was the state of terror amongst the passengers that none would remain alone in a stateroom or wander singly in infrequented parts of the vessel. This is the opposite of social distancing. It really is. We clung together as a matter of safety, and yet the most intimate acquaintances were estranged by a mutual feeling of distrust. Arsène Lupin was now anybody and everybody— our excited imaginations attributed to him miraculous and unlimited power. We supposed him capable of assuming the most unexpected disguises, of being, by turns, the highly respectable Major Rawson, or the noble Marquis de Ravendon, or even, for we no longer stopped with the accusing letter of R, or even such, or such a person well known to all of us, and having a wife, children, and servants. The first wireless dispatches from America brought no news. At least, the captain did not communicate any to us. The silence was not reassuring. <laughs> you know what? As someone who was on a ship when this COVID was going on, I will tell you the most like agitated everyone got was when we didn't hear anything for like a day or two. Silence is we, more unnerving on the ocean. We haven't heard anything. That means we're the only human beings left alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, 
Our last day on the steamer seemed interminable. We lived in constant fear of some disaster. This time, it would not have been a simple theft or a comparatively harmless assault. It would be a crime, a murder. No one imagined that Arsène Lupin would confine himself to those two trifling offenses. Absolute master of the ship, the authorities powerless, he could do whatever he pleased. Our property and lives were at his mercy. Yet, those were delightful hours for me, since they secured <laughs> me the confidence of Miss Nelly. Yeah, buddy. Mm-hmm. Deeply moved by these startling events and being of a highly nervous nature, she spontaneously sought at my side a protection and security that I was pleased to give her. I bet you were. She's like, can I stay in your room? I'm scared. <laughs> Inwardly, I blessed Arsène Lupin. It's like, giggity, giggity, yeah. <laughs> Had he not been the means of bringing me and Miss Nelly closer to each other? Thanks to him, I could now indulge in delicious dreams of love and happiness. Dreams that, I felt, were not unwelcome to Miss Nelly. Her smiling eyes authorized me to make them. The softest of her voice bade me hope. Whoa. <laughs> they getting dirty on the boat. Uh, when the boat is a rocking, don't come a knocking in Miss Nelly's room. <laughs> Which is a confusing saying because the boat is usually rocking the boat a is little. always rocking. If it's yeah. not, it's that's concerning, actually. If the boat isn't rocking, you've crashed on land. Yeah. <laughs> As we approached the American shore, the active search for the thief was apparently abandoned, and we were anxiously awaiting the supreme moment in which the mysterious enigma would be explained. Who was Arsène Lupin? Under what name, under what disguise was the famous Arsène Lupin concealing himself? And at last, that supreme moment arrived. If I live 100 years, I shall not forget the slightest details of it. How pale you are, Miss Nelly, I said to my companion as she leaned upon my arm, almost fainting. And you, she replied, oh, you are so changed. Just think, this is a most exciting moment and I, I am delighted to spend it with you, Miss Nelly. I hope that your memory will sometimes revert. But she was not listening. <laughs> Was throwing down some good lines and some Shakespeare, shit. and she's like, "Oh my God, what? What's going on?" But she was not listening. She was nervous and excited. The gangway was placed in position, but before we could use it, the uniformed customs officers came on board. Miss Nelly murmured, "I shouldn't be surprised to hear that Assault Lupin escaped from the vessel during the voyage." Perhaps he preferred death to dishonor and plunged into the Atlantic rather than being arrested. No. Oh, do not laugh, she said. Suddenly I started, and in answer to her question, I said, Do you see that little old man standing at the bottom of the gangway? With an umbrella and an olive green coat? It is Ganimard. Ganimard? Yes, the celebrated detective who has sworn to Capture Arsène Lupin. Ah, I 
can understand now why we did not receive any news from the side of the Atlantic. Ganimard was here, and he always keeps his business secret. Then you think he will arrest Arsene Lupin? Who can tell? The unexpected always happens when Arsene Lupin is concerned in the affair. <laughs> she exclaimed with that morbid curiosity peculiar to women. I should like to see him arrested. <laughs> you will have to be patient, no doubt. Arsène Lupin has already seen his enemy and will not be in a hurry to leave the steamer. The passengers were now leaving the steamer. <laughs> They didn't keep them on board to, like, investigate. They just started letting people off. It's like, okay. The passengers were now leaving the steamer. Leaning on his umbrella with an air of careless indifference, Ganimard appeared to be paying no attention to the crowd that was hurried down the gangway. The Marquis de Ravendere, Major Rawson, the Italian Rivolta, and many others had already left the vessel before Razan appeared. Poor Razan. Perhaps it is he after all, said Miss Nelly to me. What do you think? I think it would be very interesting to have Ganimard and Rosan in the same picture. You take the camera. I'm loaded down. I gave her the camera, but too late for her to use it. Rosan was already passing the detective. An American officer, standing behind Ganimard, leaned forward and whispered in his ear. The French detective shrugged his shoulders and Rosan passed on. Then, my God, who was Arsène Lupin? Yes, said Miss Nelly aloud. Who can it be? <laughs> Not more than 20 people now remained on board. I have a new theory. I, I have also just developed a theory. Okay. She scrutinized them one by one, fearful that Arsène Lupin was not amongst them. We cannot wait much longer, I said to her. She started towards the gangway. I followed. But we had not taken ten steps when Ganimard barred our passage. Well, what is it? I exclaimed. One moment, monsieur. What's your hurry? I'm escorting mademoiselle. One moment, he repeated in a tone of authority. Then, gazing into my eyes, he said, Arsène Lupin, is it not? I laughed and replied, No, simply Bernard d'Andrézé. Bernard d'Andrézé died in Macedonia three years ago. Dun, 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 ah! dun, yeah, yeah. That's, that's where I was. That was where my theory was when he handed her the camera. Yep. I'm like, the jewels are in the fucking camera. That's why I said, sounds yeah. like a confession Sounds to me. like a confession. <laughs> if Bernard d'Andrézé were dead, I should not be here. But you are mistaken. Here are my papers. They are his, and I can tell you exactly how they came into your possession. You are a fool, I exclaimed. Arsène Lupin sailed under the name of R. Yes, another of your tricks, a false scent that deceived them at Havre. You play a good game, my boy, but this time luck is against you. I hesitated a moment. Then he hit me a sharp blow on my right arm, Rude. which caused me to utter a cry of pain. He had struck the wound, yet unhealed, referred in the telegram. There it is. Oh, shit! I was obliged to surrender. There was no alternative. I turned to Miss Nellie, who had heard everything. 
Our eyes met, then she glanced at the Kodak I had placed in her hands and made a gesture that conveyed to me the impression that she understood everything. Yes, there between the narrow folds of black leather in the hollow center of the small object that I had taken the precaution to place in her hands before Ganimard arrested me, it was there I had deposited Rosanne's 20,000 francs and Lady Zerlin's pearls and diamonds. Now just be cool, Nellie. Yeah, Nellie. <laughs> oh, I pled my oath that at that solemn moment when I was in the grasp of Ganimard and his two assistants, I was perfectly indifferent to everything, to my arrest, the hostility of the people, everything except this one question. What will Miss Nellie do with the things I had confided to her? In the absence of that material and conclusive proof, I had nothing to fear, but would Miss Nellie decide to furnish that proof? Would she betray me? Would she act the part of an enemy who cannot forgive or that of a woman whose scorn is softened by feelings of indulgence and involuntary sympathy? <laughs> oh, no. She passed in front of me. I said nothing but bowed very low. Mingled with the other passengers, she advanced to the gangway with my Kodak in her hand. It occurred to me that she would not dare to expose me publicly, but she might do so when she reached a more private place. However, when she had passed only a few feet down the gangway with a moment of simulated awkwardness, she let the camera fall into the water between the vessel and the pier. Then she walked down the gangway and was quickly lost to sight in the crowd. She passed out of my life forever. For a moment, I stood motionless. Then, to Ganimard's great astonishment, I muttered, What a pity that I am not an honest man. Such was the story of his arrest as narrated to me by Arsène Lupin himself. The various incidents, which I shall record in writing at a later day, have established between us certain ties, shall I say friendship. Yes, I venture to believe that Arsène Lupin honors me with his friendship, and that it is through friendship that he occasionally calls on me, and brings into the silence of my library his youthful exuberance of spirits, the contagion of his enthusiasm, the mirth of a man for whom destiny had naught but favors and smiles. His portrait? How can I describe him? I have seen him twenty times, and each time he was a different person. Even he himself said to me on one occasion, I no longer know who I am. I cannot recognize myself in the mirror. Certainly he was a great actor and possessed a marvelous facility for disguising himself. Without the slightest effort, he could adopt the voice, gestures, and mannerisms of another person. Why, said he, why should I retain a definite form and feature? Why not avoid the danger of a personality that is ever the same? My actions will serve to identify me. Then he added with a touch of pride, So much the better if no one can ever say with absolute certainty, There is Arsène Lupin! The essential point is that the public may be able to refer to my work and say without fear of mistake, Arsène Lupin did that. The end. Nice. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> All right, I like that. Okay, 
Uh, there were a lot of Titanic uh, parallels there, James Cameron. <laughs> like, because, like, there was apparently a thief on board. Like, that was a thing that was going around. And um, the whole, like, this romance between, like, the two unlikely lovers. And then, like, the things she was given by her lover. And she just, like, drops it in the ocean. Like, oops. <laughs> Yeah. She's like, oh, it's just 20,000 francs and a bunch of fucking like priceless jewels. Uh, either that or she had already figured out and everything and yanked took it out, everything out, pocketed it and dropped the camera. That could be too. Also, I wonder if she'll appear again as well. She explicitly says she walked out of my life forever. forever. That's true. She's um, like the woman to so Sherlock. It's, so <laughs> it's if she comes back, it's a retcon. Mm hmm. Yeah, it wasn't until, like, near the end I went, it's him. It totally is him the whole time because he's been so... It wasn't... It, so it didn't It didn't have me going quite as much as, like, an Agatha Christie yeah, tends it, it to have me... Yeah, it wasn't twisting as far. But this, you going. said this is the first one? This is the first... This is his first story. So that was that was the origin story. Yeah, that's, so. that's the... This is the setup. This is the very first one. So this collection, the... What, what was it? The Adventures of... The Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar. Yes. <laughs> so that is the first collection of short stories. Yeah. They're all roughly this length. The last one of those stories is Sherlock Holmes arrives too late. <laughs> so that's the the last in short story in that collection. Is uh, Sherlock Holmes arrives too late. And then the next book, which is a novel and then a collection of short stories, is Arsène Lupin <laughs> versus Sherlock Holmes. You know what? I'm in, I I love this guy. That <laughs> Like, that was very fun. I want to read more. That was a good find. That was a good find. Right? I, I'm a huge fan. And that's very much in the uh, the uh, uh, vein of our muse. Yes. And the yeah. Agatha Christie. And, yeah. Living, and no living children by the died. Words, living by the words, in Agatha we trust, this feels like an appropriate author to add to our Very rotation. much so. Oh, very much so. I want to know more. I, and I definitely want to read one of the ones that With Herlock, Herlock Sholmes is... <laughs> for sure <laughs> just because that's going to be funny in it's its own right because the whole time i'm going to be envisioning like benedict cumberbatch like as that character and yeah. i'm guessing they Bendel, don't paint Bendel him Bum, cumbersquatch. Bendel Bum, cumbersquatch uh i'm guessing they that uh leblanc does not paint him in the most beautiful light which is probably why doyle was mad yeah so uh so. hey listener Thanks for listening, first of all, because yeah. you are awesome. If, uh, you know, in case no one has told you today, you're you're fucking cool. And we love you. Um, Good on you for being a badass. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think of that story? Uh, did you do do you approve of Maurice LeBlanc? And just as importantly, did you figure it out? Yeah. Were did you, you get there? Along? Did you get there before we did? Let us know, and when you do, when you shoot us an email or a Twitter message or something on Facebook or Instagram or, or via whatever our you website do, or whatever you do, do, include the secret passphrase for the week. And this week, the secret passphrase is "Mount my booty." Mount my booty. <laughs> 
Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> and while you're at it, like, subscribe. Go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Podbean or wherever it is you listen to us because that very much helps us get seen and heard by uh, new listeners. Yeah. And the more listeners we get the more of these funny little things we can do. These joyful delights we can bring to your ears <laughs> and other senses if you're enjoying a p- glass of Pinot Grigio along with us. So help us make delight in your ears. Help me help you. <laughs> help us make delight in your ears? Oh, no. <laughs> Ew. No, I'm standing by that. I'm getting a Q-tip. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm standing by that. Help us make delight in your ears. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I have nothing to say after that. <laughs> Great. I have officially skeeved out my co-host. Yeah. So until <laughs> next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that skeeve you out. I'm a librarian. <laughs> sure, we'll just come full circle. <laughs> it's, I love the mummy. It's so good. <laughs>